everyone, and welcome back to the Whale Nurse Podcast. This is episode number 105. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Aitlin. Hello. We are missing one of our other co-hosts, Adam, today. He uh, wasn't able to make it today, but he'll be on the next one, and I probably won't be. So yeah. We're trading. That. We're taking turns. Yeah. <laughs> and then Caitlin's slowly going to kick us off, and it'll just be Caitlin. <laughs> It'll be like the beginning of COVID all over again. My little mini episodes. Anyways, what's up, dude? Not much. I uh, I took my boat out for the first time in like four weeks. Took your boat for a walk? Took my boat for a walk. Took it for a stroll. Actually, did I go two days in a row? I went two days in a row. You did? Yeah, I went by myself the first day. Um. Well, do you want to you want to talk about that in a minute? I mean, we can. Yeah, I just wanted to start with thank you to everyone for supporting us, listening to the podcast, coming on trips, supporting our Patreon, um, rating or reviewing the podcast, telling people about the podcast. We we definitely appreciate you all. Um, sometimes I look at like the stats of the podcast and I can't believe like we have over thirty thousand streams of the episodes like that's crazy that's so cool so thank you for all of that support um and if you want to just keep up with us and what's going on uh, our website's a great place to do that as well as our social media feeds we have facebook and instagram but you can also go to thewhalenerds.com and check out the blog the trip schedule um the beach cleanup details are on there now we do have a little bit of merch up there and we also have YouTube and all the video versions of our episodes from 100 onwards are public on our YouTube channel. Um, if you didn't catch the beach cleanup announcement that we put out on episode 104, we are doing an Earth Day beach cleanup on Friday, April 22nd after the whale watch. We'll be cleaning Moss Landing State Beach from 2.30 to 4.30. You can meet us at the Moss Landing Viewpoint parking lot. It's the dirt parking lot at the end of Jetty Road. And if there's not any parking there, there is parking in the main part of the harbor. You just then have to walk around Jetty Road, which is a really beautiful walk. It's great for birding and looking at otters and harbor seals. Um, Alvarado Street Brewery is providing grain bags for us to collect trash in so that those bags get a second life before they go in a dumpster. And we will also be providing uh, single use gloves, but if you have your own PPE, personal protective equipment or your own trash cleanup equipment, you're welcome to bring it and also bring sun protection and water, um, warm layers of clothes. And yeah, we'll see you there. You don't have to attend the whale watches or anything to attend the beach cleanup. The beach cleanup's open to the public for free. We'd love to see you there and uh, nerd out with you about whatever you find on the beach. It's like a big treasure hunt. I love beach cleanups, so. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And then I just had two other little announcements, and then we can talk about sightings. Um, I, I don't know if we'll get another episode out before Whale Tales actually happen, but it's 26th and 27th live streaming online. Uh, you can still sign up at whaletales.org. And um, we did do a video for the Keiki program. We're pretty excited about our intro to marine life photography thing that we did. And there's going to be all kinds of cool science stuff there, including maybe some science stuff that we're going to talk about today. You'll get to hear from the researchers firsthand uh, talking about it. And then Cape Ann Whale Watch, where I worked the last two seasons, they are looking for interns still for their field research and education internship program. So if you're interested in getting a start in the marine field and you don't mind 
going to Gloucester for the summer. It's a great program. Uh, you get hands-on experience doing data collection, photo ID, and then also uh, interpreting and educating guests about marine life, not just whales, but like seals and sharks and fish and birds. And it's a great way to get experience as like a naturalist in training um, and also get a sense of what it's like to work on a boat and uh, maybe decide if you want to do that as your career. So if you're interested in that, send a cover letter, resume, and two written references to cawwtablet at gmail.com. And I'll, I reposted that on our Facebook page, but um, if you need more info, you can send us a DM. I'll send the info to you. But I highly recommend the program. Jamie does a great job with it there on the hurricane. And you get to see some really cool whales, too. So, okay, that's all the housekeeping stuff. Are they having... Um right whales there right now they are they're seeing them from shore right now. okay yeah someone someone sent me a uh photo of a breach from the shore which is it was yeah, a pretty good photo too Pete, peter flood i saw him post some photos he posts he goes out to the beach almost every day and looks for them might so, be kind of fun if you are listening from new england uh get down to provincetown they're seeing them off race point almost every single day and Do it. that you can actually be closer to a right whale standing on the shore then you can be on the boat like if it's high tide the whales will be within two or three hundred yards of shore sometimes and you have to stay 500 yards away on a boat so pretty cool opportunity to see one of the most endangered whales in the world from land i need to do it yeah oh i know i wish we could go right now but you're gonna go to mexico no i'm not i quit <laughs> kidding just kidding i just got my package in the mail yeah, you did. Tickets. Too legit. Okay, back to my boat, dude. I went on my boat for the first time um, two days ago. So I went out two days ago just because I was like, you know, I need to run my boat. Oh, I needed to clean my boat. And I also wanted to run it because I hadn't started in a few weeks. Yep. And then I um, was going to check the fuel prices, but... <laughs> The, the door wasn't open to like the little office right there. And I was like, eh, I don't feel like waiting. I'm sure he was just up, you know, off the dock and he would have came down, but I was like, I guess I'll just uh, avoid that for now. <laughs> um, I still had a half tank. And so, yeah, I went out there. I, I almost made it to the corner and then I saw a humpback whale. Did I see two humpback whales? No, one humpback whale the first day. And it had a beautiful white tail with some speckles on it. And I was super happy. I watched it for a little bit. And then I went in. Oh, and then on the way in the harbor, we had one that was by the MLA buoy. So it was just like, a, a, just basically a mile out of the harbor. There was one, and I guess it's been there for almost a month now. Cool. And then I went in and Adam came up that night. He came and stayed at my house. And we went on the boat yesterday to film a little video for fun. And we had two humpback whales and what we were at two humpback whales out at the corner and then we hung out with them for a little bit they were really just kind of ch super chill whales they weren't like moving like they weren't moving fast and they also weren't just doing very much they they were fluking like one of them was fluking or they were like kind of taking turns fluking and going down they were just pretty chill and so we left them and on our way in it's funny uh like some sort of crab or a crab boat was passing us and they waved and we waved back and then like a minute later, cause it, this was getting pretty close to the harbor. A minute later, I'm like, 
I was like, dude, I think I just saw a whale breach like in front of the harbor. And then he's like, nah, he's like, don't get me like Adam's like, don't get me hyped up, dude. And I was like, no, he, I was like, look at the waves, dude. Like if it, like the waves are not crashing big on the beach right now. Yeah. I was like, it's for sure a humpback that breach. And then next thing you know, this little humpback, oh, full, like, you know, a full arch twist breach. Um, did it four times. We got, and then we got within kind of within range and yeah, it stopped. Don't you hate that? <laughs> yeah, it was a bummer, but that whale had a really cool tail. It was like, I guess it was all white too, but with like a lot of black dots and then some yellow. So it was kind of like cookies and cream. Like it looked like the little, <laughs> the Hershey, it, it literally looked like the Hershey bar. I was kind of hungry. Um, and then we had one and then, so we left that whale and we were pretty close to Harbor and one popped up like right between the red and green buoy. Like, wow. so like a half mile from the Harbor entrance. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, at, that was four humpbacks that we saw. I'm pretty sure Kate might've saw one or two more further out. And then she ended up running into some gray whales playing with some white sided dolphins. So there's, it's so funny. I think one of the sightings said two white-sided dolphins. <laughs> it was like two <laughs> white-sided dolphins with gray whales rolling around, seven gray whales or something. But um, yes, there's so many whales. All the gray whales that I think were seen yesterday and today or the last couple of days were all northbounders. So, yeah, this is a time of year. You get the, the last push of adults that are willing to be watched. And then pretty soon they all get really squirrely. Yeah. So man, I can't wait to get back there. Um, so I saw some cool stuff. I had, I went filming with Selkit and we were watching a competition group that sort of fizzled out. And I was just, we were sitting there with the engine off because the competition group was like chasing a mom calf pair and the mom finally stopped. And like they were resting and so we were waiting for them to come up and then all of a sudden i looked down in the water and there were two whales underneath us that were not part of the group we had been watching <laughs> did you put that in your story uh that might have been a different day later oh, okay. on yeah and so we were just sitting there and i was like what where did these whales come from <laughs> that's funny they're um, probably just chilling down there singing yeah probably i mean diving pairs will stay down for like 20 plus minutes like there was a mom calf escort we waited for and the calf would come up every five minute minutes, but the mom and escort were down for 25 minutes. It's such a, that question gets me so much on the boat. They're like, how long do humpbacks stay down for? And it's like, uh, cause like, you know, average is like what, six to 10 minutes, I guess on the, like really three to yeah. eight minutes on the like feeding ground, I guess. Yeah. It just depends. Even then yeah, it, it depends. depends, but then it's like, they could easily stay down for over 30 minutes if they wanted to. Yeah, I guess there's maybe like, not easily, but I've heard I have to fact check the second number, but one number I've heard, which isn't published in a paper is 26 minutes, which I was like, well, I just waited 25 minutes for whales and I don't yeah. think they were trying to be impressive. But there's another paper, apparently, that quotes 48 minutes. I haven't found that myself. I'll have to look that up. But I think they probably I think 48 minutes is probably more accurate just based on my personal observations, but I would have to verify it with data. Because even on the feeding grounds, I've waited over 20 minutes for whales before and they came up right in the exact same spot. I was like, what are you taking a nap down there? Like what's going on? Yeah, I Googled it just now and it says, wait, where is this from? Sydney uh, this is from a whale watch company, but it says humpback whales can dive for up to 30 minutes. 
but mostly only up to 15 minutes. It's just like, I guess it just depends, man. Like, I really yeah. think that if, if they're sitting there, like at night, okay, if you listen to the hydrophone and they're singing, like when do they take a break? Well, they can sing while they surface. Uh, so that makes it more confusing. You think, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like rubbing your belly in a circle and patting your head. I don't think some, they can do, some whales I do it. I don't think they're singing and breathing. The, the whales of Guerrero project about six years ago recorded a singer where there was no other whales around and the whale surfaced and was still singing. And then I've seen, I've seen reports of that here too in Maui. So then, okay, so we had that competition group. We got snuck up by some on by some whales. Then we're coming home and the trade winds are blowing really hard in front of the harbor. So there's a bunch of whales like breaching right on the wind line. And I was like, okay, cool. But like for the little boat we're in, it's like rocking and rolling pretty hard. It's hard to film. So we turned to leave and like cut outside the wind and come up along the shore a little nicer route. And I, this whale popped up in front of us and I was like, something looks weird on that whale. And I was like, oh my God, it's the spike whale. That had been oh, okay. Yeah. You sent us a photo. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this whale that has like a growth coming out of its dorsal hump, like before its dorsal fin, it looks like a little spike and it's not an injury. Like it's growing out of the back of the whale. There's no other marks around it. It's so weird. So in Maui, they call it spike, but this whale's also been seen in Mexico and in Mexico, they call it rhino. Hey, is it on happy whale? Yeah, and it only has breeding ground sightings on Happy Whale. Spike British Columbia? Spike no, Spike Rhino. Oh, okay, Maui Rhino, I see it. Yeah. Oh, wow, it's right where I just was. Yeah, so they saw it earlier this year on February it's 13th so, man, or 15th, and then we saw it less than a week ago. So the whale's been here for almost a month which also kind of blows some of our assumptions out of the water about how long they stay in the breeding grounds. Wait, that's crazy because it's, I have two now. It was like, kind of like, there was only like one whale that had been crossed from California to Maui. Now I have two whales and that's, I think both of those are not including the one that has already been. And I think Adam got one in Santa Barbara's he has been to Maui or been yeah. to Hawaiian islands. So I think, I think they're going to start here than we realize, I think. Yeah, we're just we're just getting barely practicing. I mean, look at all these whales. I have one like the two whales I saw in Mexico. I didn't even upload them yet, uh, but both of them only had like one sighting. Yeah. They like in some of them were like 2017 or 21. Like some yeah. of them were just within the last few years. And we'll talk. One of the articles we're going to cover today talks about that too, because I think like you know we tried to put them in these nice boxes, and just when you think you have a whale figured out, they prove you wrong, and they're like, ha, I don't like your categories. <laughs> So, so the spike whale, it went down, it didn't fluke, but I was like, oh man, come on. Like they have to have a dorsal fin match in happy whale. And so we waited for it just they to do. give it a chance. And we shut the boat off and it was singing right under the boat, man. We were like laying on the pontoons of the Zodiac. You could feel it vibrating through the pontoon, like on your chest. And you could hear it just like above the water with your ears. It was so cool. That's the loudest I've ever heard a singer above the water. He was like right under us and he was it's singing. It's such a weird, like, it's like, it kind of looks like it could have been the end of a dorsal fin already, but it just has, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's like a little finger coming up. Off That's of a, it's just a cool dorsal, man. Yeah. 
I'll have to. Um, Selkit said she's gonna send me a photo, so maybe we can use that one on the Instagram. Uh, it'll be here in Monterey in a couple months, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so uh, I thought you were about to say though when you said that you're like well, that kind of looks like I thought you were gonna say it great well I thought it came over oh you or man you would have heard from me already like 15 times if I saw a great well I would have been like I saw the great well that'd be so <laughs> cool yeah um so then I worked in Lahaina and um, we had a couple cool sightings over there too one group we settled in with it was like a mom and a calf and they were resting really quietly and the calf surfaced like a hundred yards away from the mom, which in the breeding grounds is not very common. The calf's usually like right next to the mom and the mom out of nowhere just breached. And I think she was like, Hey, get Back over here. here. Yeah. <laughs> Cause the calf, I feel like, like that's so much effort. Like why not just peck slap once like go to the surface and peck slap. Maybe I'm, I'm wondering if she was like asleep and kind of freaked out. Like, Oh, my baby's not anywhere near me. Uh, so like she was she was already she was already low and then had plenty of room to yeah kick the yeah. dust up she'd already been down for a while and i think she was like oh my god where's my kid that's funny so uh so that was cool and then we had a comp group a competition group of over 13 whales earlier this week it was awesome march madness is starting is that is that when the comp i thought it was february that the comp stuff was good or is march usually when February's it is like when there's the most whales around but march can be more intense competition groups because there's less whales around so oh like yeah so they're partners. all grouping up that's what's going yep. on yep exactly yeah, okay i think i remember so. hearing about that and then on sunday yeah sunday the 13th we saw a calf that was like within the last 72 hours it had been born it was like light gray its dorsal fin was all curled over it was all floppy it was tiny i was like dude what the second week of march they're having isn't babies that pretty still? late yeah that's the latest i've ever seen a new calf you think gray whales could still be having babies i guess yeah i don't it's like it was kind of weird because i'd like a fresh one right when i get there <laughs> So, yeah, very interesting stuff. And then today I got to see spinner dolphins for the first time all season. So that was nice. I didn't see any this year there. But yeah, you know I what? Seen I didn't any all season. All the ones that I saw last time. Well, actually, I saw, I've seen them from my hotel room, but um, was going over to Lanai, like yeah. on that other, on that, what is it, the south side, I guess? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, so yeah. like right before you get over there, I've seen them that way. So yeah, they're pretty common over there. Um, I don't know too, too much about how they use the channel. I've kind of like gotten a little bit of information from different captains, but haven't really like pursued it myself. Cause I'm more like, let's just get whales. Everything else is a bonus, but they were coming across the channel towards Lahaina and we were like going to some whales and I was like, wait, there's a bunch of weird little splashing right here. And I was like, oh, it's dolphins. So nice. Yeah. So that was cool. So yeah, lots of fun things to see. How was um, Mexico the rest of your shark trips? Did I only talk about the first day? Yeah. The second day was um, kind of slow. It took a while. You know what? I think the second day, did I talk, did I say we had a hammerhead show up? Yeah. The first day. Okay, yeah, so the second day we had, like, a tiny blue shark show up right off, like, 
no, nah, maybe like an hour into like um, chumming. And then that they were like, uh, what they say? They basically said like, sometimes they can be um, like a little more skittish, like they'll take off. So they're like, let's just give it a little bit. We pretty much got in the water and then it left. Uh, so we got back out of the water and then another shark came and I forget what happened, but that one ended up taking off pretty quickly too. So it was just a kind of a skittish blue shark day. The next day though, we got onto, or we were just drifting and then we had a blue shark that was like probably seven feet and it was nice. It wow. made lots of laughs between everybody. It stayed out in the middle. It also stayed up high, like closer to the surface. Mm-hmm. and it was pretty cool it bumped my dome which was like kind of cool I don't know I like I thought <laughs> I thought it was pretty fun like a couple times it like head butted my camera and I was like that's nice it's because it's shiny so it's like yeah they're like it, Ooh, what is this it, they tell you not to wear um like colorful stuff like you wear all black like your fins and, and mask and everything yeah um so my I, parrot fish swimsuit would not be a good idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it was so much fun oh so where uh like four of the people got seasick so then it was like just like four photographers in the water which was like sorry i feel bad for the people but it was kind of nice at the same time because <laughs> then there was like no one in the water and this shark oh so the shark kind of went down low like 60 like it was probably like 65 feet down and i was just watching like just with my face down not shooting i was just watching it and then i saw it kick its tail like a couple times pretty fastly and i was like oh it's gonna come straight up i'm like heck yeah i'm ready and then no it like was zooming and then next thing you know like just into like um range where i could see an, a, a silky shark came in and it was covered it, it was not covered it had like tw- like 12 or 15 like pair or pilot fish swimming with it you know how they're black and blue yeah so it was like the most beautiful thing ever but i guess silky sharks will kind of like scare off blue sharks even though that blue shark was a little bigger i guess silky sharks will scare them off so um which it, that it did end up actually happening. They kind of both left, but I was so bummed that the silky shark didn't come up to the surface because it would have been a really cool photo yeah. with all the fish surrounding it and, or video would have been really cool too. Yeah. Uh, as soon as we got out of the water though, cause it was time to leave. Actually, we got out of the water, that blue shark came back and it was like cool. Cause it was circling right next to the boat where, and we were all like looking down on top of it. Nice. So it was a cool experience. Um, then I left, went home, and they saw killer whales while I was on the plane. No. <laughs> and so they they jumped in, they jumped in with killer whales. So that wow. was cool. Yeah. They I guess they only got kind of like one pass, and the killer whales like were they were on their own mission, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes they will like stick around, and obviously you've seen they have crazy videos of it. Yeah. So I'm like sad. I'm like, I'm like, oh well, it wasn't that great of an encounter, so I'm not that sad. <laughs> <But I> was, <laughs> Uh, and then today they had a fin whale actually oh wow cool yeah so it was a lot of fun i'll Good definitely deal. do it again and you're just doing gray whales for this trip with Lindblad, yeah yeah so i leave on the 19th to loretto and i get on the ship and then i believe we're just gonna drive probably like through sunset you know through the night and be at mag bay by the morning i don't think it's like that it's not that far not that far. I mean, I, I wonder if they'll like stop in Cabo for some reason and whale watch because there's so many humpbacks there. Yeah. But I don't I don't know. I think they're just probably gonna go straight to Mac Bay and then get set up and then probably do gray whales every day. And so you guys are gonna stay on the ship each night. Yeah, you stay on the ship in Mac Bay. Yeah, and I'm sh- I, I assume 
because in Mexico, I think the one thing is, is that you use their pongas when you like, yeah. it supports the local community, you know? Yeah. Well, so, there's a permitting system too. Yeah. And so I think what they'll do is probably drive us to either shore or yeah, I assume they'll drive us to shore and then let us get on the pongas in groups and go out. So yeah, I think when I was in San Ignacio, like the Shogun goes down there and so does the Yeah, I've seen them boat. there when I was there. Yep. And I think they just contract with one of the camps and the pongas come to the boat, but I guess it probably just depends on the location. Yeah, they might pick up the show. Yeah, the Shogun doesn't bring a skip with them. So yeah, I think they yeah. might get picked up. Because yeah. you can't go, you can't, you can't uh can't bring your own boats there, that's for sure. No, yeah. So cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, excited to hear about your gray whale adventures. Yeah, I hope we have some good encounters. And I actually hope it's not windy. I looked and it looks like at least like two of the two middle days are not that windy. Because sometimes it's kind of choppy and windy in the lagoon. The lagoon. So yeah. But then the wind, like the way the wind pattern moves around the lagoon also is a little unpredictable. Like like the forecast offshore might say something, but the way the wind pushes around, like the uneven heat of the lagoon is also like not as predictable as the forecast says. Yeah. So I'm so excited. And the mangroves are really pretty. And yeah, uh, especially in Magdalena Bay, I've been there before and the mangroves are really pretty. Awesome. Well, um, I have a few articles about humpback whales. It's mostly information that's based in Hawaii, but I think quite a bit of it you could say uh, translates. Um, the first two are actually lectures that I attended virtually that were hosted by the National Marine Sanctuaries. I think, did you watch this first one, the Whales Feed Hawaii one? I'm opening it right now. I sent it to you right before it was about to happen, but I didn't know if you were able to tune the in. The seaside chats? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've seen this. Okay. So they are open to the public. Your recordings are available. So I'll post the link to it on our Facebook page in the comment section when I post about this episode. Um, but it was hosted by, I think, Flower Garden National Marine Sanctuary. But it's the lecturer was Janine Rosa from Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Marine Sanctuary. And it's about whales the topic was whales feed hawaii so when whales come to the breeding grounds they boost the marine food web of the local area um, each winter so it's kind of interesting to think about how many impacts that has during the late, least productive time of year for that area so what drives migration she kind of covered the basics like yeah they're there to have their calves but calves can live in cold water like especially gray whales are a great example you see them give birth on the way and the calf makes it so way up north too yeah like even north of san francisco they have newborns with them and so it's like is the cold water really the biggest driving factor hmm, maybe not predator avoidance yeah that's a good factor but Was. at the same time like does it really make that big of a difference maybe maybe not um but then the more we learn about skin maintenance for these whales, the more we're realizing that's a big deal. Like we've talked about this on previous episodes, but like the adults need to come down here to take care of their skin in addition to breeding and birthing. I mean, your skin's your biggest organ, just like us. Like you have to take good care of it. Otherwise your whole health situation suffers. So there is some evidence that when whales stay in the feeding grounds for the winter, 
they have lesions and they also have heavy diatom loads like that whale that you said looked like cookies and cream yeah. some yellow on it a little diatoms. bit yeah and then like a good example of how cold water animals deal with it like bowhead whales they don't really migrate but they rub on boulders mm. so um they definitely are doing some skin maintenance like during parts of the year to exfoliate their skin same with some of the killer whales up north, like like the yep. rubbing beaches, right? In yep. the Pacific Northwest. Belugas too. Belugas do the same thing. Ah, smart. Yeah. So then thinking about that, well, what, like this, all this skin is sloughing off in Hawaii, right? Well, zooplankton eat that. And 80% of the zooplankton that are documented in Hawaii are actually larval stages that grow into bigger animals. So like the nutrients that are coming from whales during this early growth phase, like makes an impact on the food chain down the line because they're providing nutrients during a low productivity time of year to all these, you know, infant forms of animals, basically these larval forms of animals. And then in Hawaii, even some of their freshwater animals like snails and fish have a marine larval stage. So these little larvae are eating nutrients from whales and then transporting it back to shore when they grow up as adults. What? Isn't that crazy? Who's doing this? <laughs> <laughs> when I heard about the snails, I called Sammy. Well, I texted her in all caps and was like, I have questions about snails in Hawaii because she just did like a, a illustration internship for someone who was covering uh, land snails in Hawaii. And so she and I had a good nerd out session. So. Dang it. I've never seen a snail on a humpback. No, like the larvae are eating the skin floating around. Then they grow up to be an adult and they go back uh, to shore. Still. But the nutrients they got from the ocean, some of it comes from whales. And then they're taking it back to the land, which I think is really cool. More science. More science. So then also directly feeding off of the whales, you'll see these mackerel scad. You may have seen them in videos um, this season in Hawaii. They're called opelu in Hawaiian. They literally will like pluck the skin off the whale. They're just like actively grooming it. Feel that the humpback whales, that might, that this actually makes a lot of sense that they're not going there for the, the calves. So I, I always think like, dude, this is no way that they're going all the way this way to give birth because it just doesn't make sense. Like it, they can handle the cold water for sure yeah. they can. Yeah. And so that's probably why they're super active and we're like, oh, they're just so happy. But it's like, no, they're just itchy and they're trying to get all this dang skin <laughs> off. You know what I mean? And they're like, might as well yeah. put on a show for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I right now describe skin maintenance as a secondary factor of migration, but maybe I need to rethink that. Maybe it is a primary factor for migration. So in addition to skin, there's all these other ways that whales contribute to the marine food web as well um if they do have any snacks while they're in hawaii well obviously they're gonna poop and that's fertilizer for plankton too it's definitely not as big of an impact as in the feeding grounds but the the breeding grounds still get some of that residual um and then when the whales are giving birth the placenta is actually a really huge nutrient source for the ecosystem especially for scavengers like sharks and there's a paper from 2007 that estimates about 8% of the females in the North Pacific population are giving birth in Hawaii each year. So that's 600 to 700 
newborn like birthing events each season in Hawaii. So six to seven hundred placentas each year that are entering the marine food web. And then you know some whales don't don't live. So sometimes there's floating carcasses or some carcasses even sink and become whale falls for the deep sea habitat around the Hawaiian islands. Um, and I actually didn't really consider that a big factor, but there has been a dead whale or two almost every season I've worked here. And um, she also said that some divers actually discovered some whale bones off of Maui not that long ago. It kind so. of makes sense that like, I mean, also it's like, think about it. They just swam, you know, so many miles and they get yeah. there and like some of them probably just like old too. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely had seasons where I've seen a whale and been like, I don't think that whale's making it back to the feeding grounds. Like it's skinny and it's gray and it doesn't look good. Yeah. So, um, and there is some evidence that maybe even Hawaiian people had a handle on how whales contribute to the ecosystem. There's like this proverb that, proverb that says, um, the whale mucus produces the manini is like how it translates to English. And the manini is like a reef fish. So I don't know if they're referring to like the placenta or like the whale skin, um, but there's not a lot of information about Hawaiian people's relationships with whales. So it's interesting that there is a proverb saying like whales bring nutrients to the reef. And so whales carry- Probably not hard whale. to witness it if you watch them, you know, long oh, enough, yeah. especially if well, you live there. Yeah. And I think that may not, may just be like Western civilization's inability to capture the relationship between Hawaiian people and whales more than anything. Yeah. Like, I think that's an error on who's trying to record it more than- on Hawaiian people and their relationship with nature because they're pretty dang in tune with the ocean. I mean, they got to Hawaii from Tahiti many times. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty incredible. Crazy. So yeah, so whales carry a little um, ecosystem everywhere they go, but they also boost the larger marine food web everywhere they go. And I thought that was just like something really cool to think about. Like I think about it all the time in the feeding grounds, but I guess I just never really thought about it in the breeding grounds, but especially in the breeding grounds, it's such a nutrient poor environment that having whales there is probably a huge boost. I mean, especially when you think about Maui, 10 to 12,000 whales come through Maui County over the course of mid-December to mid-May. It's a lot of nutrients. It's, it's like, you know how like, we're like, oh, all the whales show up in the winter to, I mean, in the summertime here, it's like, it's kind of like all the, you know, the fish are probably thinking the same thing or like the, mm -hmm. the whole web system there is thinking the same thing. Like, okay, the humpback's about to come back and they're about to make it rain. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's kind of, it's cool because like those are the shortest days of the year, right? And so that's when the reef and, and the other like phytoplankton are producing the least amount of nutrients and oxygen. And then here comes the whales with all this influx of resources. It's like, wow, perfect. Like who set that up? Yeah. <laughs> Everything in nature kind of works too perfectly. It's kind of dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're literally the only thing that doesn't work in nature. If anything, we work against it. Yeah. We're like, well, we don't need to migrate. We just go where we want during all times of the year. <laughs> I want strawberries in December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So then the other lecture that I thought was cool, which actually like helped correct 
a lot of information that I had been trying to fact check was uh, this little lecture called Every Whale Counts. And uh, it was also hosted by Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Marine Sanctuary. And they interviewed Dr. Rachel Cartwright from Keiki Kohala Project, which Keiki is the Hawaiian word for child, Kohala is the Hawaiian word for whale. So young whale project or baby whale project basically is what that means. And she talked a lot about calf development. Um, she's the one that does a lot of this fine detailed uh, work on them. And so she talked about how their behavior for the first three weeks of their life is they're very busy. They're always on the move. They need a lot of exercise. And that's because their myoglobin levels are very low. And they actually spend about 90% of their time actively swimming their first three weeks of life because they're trying to build up all those oxygen binding molecules in their blood so that they can actually hold their breath and go for a dive. Like their blood is not ready for that. So yet, you're telling so. me it's not even necessarily our lungs that will make us like last longer? Well, your lungs take the oxygen in, but how the, how the oxygen goes through your body is through your blood. So, you know, all these little molecules are picking up these oxygen particles out of your lungs and then taking it to everything that needs the oxygen in your body. And so why can't I hold my breath little... long? Yeah. I've been working it for years. <laughs> <laughs> you need to 90% of your day actively swim for three weeks and then let me know. <laughs> so by the time they're three weeks old, they have built up enough oxygen binding molecules in their blood to actually be able to hold their breath and rest. So after three weeks, you start to notice calves spend 60% of their day resting because they can actually hold their breath and take a little so they're wild in the beginning they're wild they're always on the move which i noticed this season i was like trying to get into a routine with moms and calves and like the really little calves were always swimming and i was like is this bad am i chasing them or is it something else that has nothing to do with me and i think it's more that the little calves just have to keep moving they can't really slow down they're so, not even calves when they get here, man. They're so big. Like, I know. They're like, huge. You really can't. Yeah, it's, it sucks because they are calves, but it's just like they're not. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, their peck fins are like everything. They're just like almost double the size. I just, I tell people like when they're here in Hawaii, they look like a toy. Like they don't even look real. Especially when you put them next to the mom's peck fin or head, like yeah. or tail or any part of the mom really, yeah. but. You really can just be like, wow. Like the mom can just put her pecking out and cover the whole baby whale. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, their little head is like so short. Like it's not even proportional yet. And they're like skin so clean. They like, yeah, they don't li- look they're kind of like gray and they got white. What's up with the white peck fin thing there? I don't know. There's quite a few of them this year. I, I, it's all of them. The Are babies? They not, did they not all have white peck fins? A lot of the babies did this season, which made it really easy to keep track of. Yeah, I swear they all do. They I don't have like that. little glow sticks on the side of the Do you their think body. that they can change and become darker? I don't think so. I think I guess that might just be the Hawaiian the like Alaska population has a lot more white, huh? Maybe. Or the Russian whales. Who knows? True. But um so then also once the whales build up enough myoglobin to rest, that's when you start to see them grow very rapidly. And the average birth weight that she reported was about 1200 kilograms. That's over 2000 pounds. So like 
we usually say 1500 to 2000 pounds is their newborn birth weight. But this is saying that data suggesting they actually almost all weigh over 2000 pounds at birth, which is crazy. And then they're gaining 60 pounds per day. Yeah. So they grow about 30 centimeters a month. That's about a foot. And then they gain about 28 kilograms or 60 pounds every day. And then right. the milk from the mom is about 20% fat while they're in the breeding grounds, but her milk content, the it gets more fatty when she gets back to the food. And she makes about 12 gallons of that milk a day. That's how that calf is gaining 60 pounds in weight every day. So she did the math like during the lecture. <laughs> it's nuts. So the the resting like metabolic rate of a three-week-old calf is 38,495 kilocalories a day. That's how much it needs to just be a whale. Then for the activity it does during the day, swimming, playing, you know, breaching, all of that, it needs an additional 20,504 kilocalories a day to support activity. Then on top of that, it's growing. And so it needs about 42,000 kilocalories a day to grow at the rates I just talked about. No, so oh, go ahead. <laughs> if we're assuming that the calf, when it's nursing from mom, is getting about 90% of the milk that she's making, then the mom needs to, uh, the calf's demands are 100 1,999 kilocalories a day. So she needs to make an extra 10% for whatever the calf doesn't get in its mouth. So she makes 111,099 kilocalories per day in milk. Okay. Let's do the math here. If you say, it says 60 pounds per day, I'm yeah. just going to say, go ahead and 60 divided by 24 is two and a half pounds every hour yeah. for probably like the first two years of its life, right? Yeah. Well, for the first, well, for sure, for the first year, for the first year. Yeah. Or like six, but the, I guess once they switch it, do you think they're even, so once they, they get here, they're, how old are they? They're like nine months. Uh, yeah, like February, March, April. No, I guess six months. But by the time yeah. they leave, they're like, by the time the end of the season, it's like, I guess it's a, about a year. So here's the thing is once they, cause towards like nine or 10 months, they might switch over to fish. Like we watched Fluke Skywalker this year switch over fish. Google, they're all eat. Yep. They start, they start lunch feeding, right? Yep. I wonder what they're getting when they start lunch feeding. It, there's no way it's as, as nutritional as a milk, right? No. And so if you like, I talked to Peter Fulkins um, a couple years ago about like entanglements, and he's like, I would much rather disentangle a three-year-old whale than a one-year-old whale, because for the first few years of their life, they kind of starve because they're not very good at catching food yet like their mom kind of showed them what to do and where to go but like they're not very efficient yet and they're also not very big so like the amount of fish they can get per gulp is kind of low right. so they kind of like starve the first three to five years of life and then they sort of figure it out and like start to gain weight again they're still growing in length but like they start to get really thin i think that's why like all these like this whale these the whale that's in front of the harbor yesterday like it's a small whale yeah. And it's probably a couple years old. Yeah. And I'll bet you that this whale 
is you know like that all those whales are always in front of the harbor and they're always doing little circles right there because i bet the food gets pushed up right there towards the shallow it's the end of the bay you know and it must be like the easiest point for them because it's always a young whale there yeah yeah and you know i also talked to uh nick captain nick lemon about this a couple years ago too he said um you know when you're looking at the nuances of like lunch feeding and this guy doesn't have any scientific training he's just a fisherman and he'll tell you that but he knows a lot about what's going on out on the ocean he's like those young whales when they're in the group lunch feeding they tend to like mess it up and like the big whales kind of like move on without them the big whales get it all in unison they do it nicely together in a group but the young whales like don't really get it yet and like don't get in the groove and so he's like they just he's like they're just young and they just like haven't figured it out like kate talking about the hodgepodge yeah we talked about it last last season and and i'll if they do it again this year i'm gonna throw some spankings around because they totally (laughs) we had some good lunch feeding for like two weeks straight a mile in front of two miles in front of moss landing and then all of a sudden these whales that were like big and small and tall they all were random and mm-hmm. one they would literally it would be so perfect and then one whale would just side lunge through the middle of it and it was like dude yep. what are you doing messing up the formation man yeah and then all the big whales like all of our big ones that we know by name all moved out and went somewhere else yep yeah and so there's definitely like a learning curve of how to get the surface feeding in, in particular perfected especially group surface feeding so I mean, it's definitely been anecdotally reported by a lot of different sources, disentanglement teams, fishermen, whale watchers, like, and it makes sense, you know, like, takes a while to figure it out. <laughs> so the other two things that are just like, not necessarily related to anything else I've talked about with the Keiki Kohala uh, lecture that I thought were interesting was the mom and calves are typically encountered in depths of water of 40 to 60 meters which is way deeper than I thought they would be 120 to 180 feet. That's like way further off the shoreline than I guess I was assuming they would be, but they tend to be out in a little bit deeper water. And then she also said that the calf survival rates are about 60 to 80%, which is pretty good. Yeah. Because you don't know what else is going to happen. Like it might, it might, might be killer whales. So. Well, I think that, me- like, to the first year, 60 to 80% make it back mm-hmm. to the feeding ground. So that's pretty good odds. So then the other two reports from Maui, this one will go quick. This is just a recap of, like, the survey results from 2018 to 2021. So looking at, uh, we talked about how, like, the warm water blob made uh, – what appeared to be an absence of whales in the Hawaiian islands, like less whales were migrating because the food web shifted. And so now we're kind of getting back to more of normal numbers. And so this was put out by NOAA, which is National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. In 2008, uh, they estimated that about 10,000 humpbacks use the Hawaiian breeding grounds each year, and it's growing at about a rate of 6% a year. And that was in collaboration with Cascadia Research Collective to get those numbers. And so they did some ship-based survey transects. They do these every year, but um, the most recent cluster of years, uh, they had some results they wanted to report. And they it seems like the whales are sort of coming back to like, quote unquote, no- normal numbers. So 2018 to 2019, during their surveys, they saw 2,676 whales during their survey effort days. 
and that was um, whales were spaced at about 0.74 whales per kilometer squared, so less than one whale per square kilometer. In 2019 to 2020, they had 3,818 whales, so over a thousand more whales, and they had over one whale per square kilometer in their density estimates. Then last season, 2020 to 2021, they had 3,859 whales, so even more than the previous year, but their density was a little different. There was less than one whale per square kilometer. So they were distributed a little differently, but there were still more whales than the previous two seasons. So looking at like month to month where the whales were and how, uh, like when's the peak time, uh, February was the busiest month, um, but each year during March, um, there was more whales in the, the middle season, 2019 to 2020, um, than the year before and the year after. So the migration does shift a little bit year to year, like how late they are in the season. Um, but February was always is always the peak month. And they also had the most density of whales that 2019 to 2020 season and I that was my first season here and I do remember like oh man one night we were putting the skiff we were taking the skiff to the big boat and there was like 80 whales in Ma'alaya Bay in the two and a half mile stretch between the harbor and the mooring I was like thank god we're doing this in the daylight because at night I would have been like losing my mind being like I hear whales everywhere and I can't see them <laughs> It's scary to go. It's scary to drive at night when there's, yeah. you know, there's like, like my last couple of days in November or no, I guess like December. I don't remember actually, but I was coming in at sunset and it's like, I, I'm, I'm fine driving. Like I have radar. I can see what's going on. I know where I'm going, but it's like, not that it's like, yeah, it's just dark and I can't see whales. Like I was like, I, actually like, yeah. man, I can't see any whales. So yep. Yep. Um, exactly. Did I, did I tell you guys on the podcast that I had a near miss in the skiff in the dark? Maybe before. Yeah. This year like, or another yeah, year? Yeah, this year, oh, like a maybe, couple I don't weeks know. ago. Before I started training in Lahaina, I was taking the skiff from the big boat back to the harbor, and the window was really dirty. And so I was like, was that a weird flash from a headlight on the road, or was that a whale? And then five minutes later, in the spotlight, which is only like 10 feet off the bow, a tail kicked in front of me and I was like <gasps> good thing is it's like you don't have to go far with skiff right so it's yeah. kind of like you could go you could just kind of idle out or like you, could, you don't have to go super speedy you know yeah I mean we are trying to like get our day set up you're trying to go going. yeah or go home but right yeah like we can't we can't be blasting like 25 knots in pitch black no way there's moms and baby whales everywhere so um, yeah, so then I just like turned the wheel to get the props away from where I thought the tail came from. And all I saw was all these fluke prints. And I like searched around with my flashlight and the spotlight and was like, where are you? But they never came back up. So I just like slowly idled away. <laughs> yeah, I have a question. Yeah. So on the bottom side of a humpback's fluke, they have like where the barnacles have sloughed off, right? Yeah. Why is there never any barnacles? They've only sloughed off. I've seen barnacles, usually small. 
maybe I just can't see them. Like I'm looking at this whale right now that has so many dots, right? The one I was telling you about. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to look up its ID, but I guess Eric is the only one that's posted it. And it's just like all these whales have so many dots, but no, like I never. I, I think it fluctuates too. Like um, one season, it was 2016. In 2015, we had a lot of moms and calves. And then in 2016, we had a lot of sub-adult juvenile whales. I think they were yearlings from the year before. And they weren't doing very well. They were like, they were very unpredictable. They were pretty thin. Some of them smelled pretty bad, their breath. And they were covered in so many barnacles. So many barnacles. Like they looked like little gray whales. They had so many barnacles. And so I wonder if they just go through periods where they just have like really heavy barnacle loads and then they lose them all. Yeah, you know what? Now that I I, I take all back at what I said. Never mind. I see bar- <laughs> I see barnacles on like every food that I look at. <laughs> well, it's it's just like I guess some of the ones that are all black though, like maybe they'll just have like three, right? Like yeah. they don't, but like these ones that are all white for some reason, it's just you really can see the black circles on them. So like this whale, you can see all the little white, yellowish, they're like yellow barnacles, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um yeah, dang it. Guess they got them, but it, it does seem like the younger whales have like have more for some reason. Either they yeah. have them or they don't. I guess. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know like how what causes like you know how they get those like clumps on their like around their shoulders. Yeah. Oh wait. They get like those weird dense spots. They look like a little like I don't know like a collar or something. I know what you're talking about. Yes. But like, why? Why do they get that one little well, patch? Like, the- have you seen that? Like, on the have you ever noticed on the shoulder of like, yeah, I guess it's on calves sometimes that they have like a. I, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but it's yeah. like almost a barnacle, like with like a might even have other um, stuff growing on it. Yeah, like sometimes you'll see it like behind their blowhole, they have like a band of barnacles on their back, like across their shoulders, and it's yeah, what's like, up with that? We call them like a little barnacle collar, and I'm like, I don't know why they get it like that, but they do. There's always, there's, I feel like it's always calves that have some weird shoulder like patch yeah. thing going on. I mean, on. The, the calf, it kind of makes sense because like mom has barnacles underneath. And so, like, when the calf comes in to nurse, they get them all over their head, but then maybe also get them on their shoulder from rubbing up on her tail while they're nursing. But like when they're older and they have like just one clump of barnacles on their back, you're like, why? Why? Did you I guess watch the barnacles mate with other barnacles right next to them and make more barnacles? I don't know. Yeah, but it's like, seems like it's on a multiple whales in that exact same spot. So yeah. something's going on there. Um, did you watch that that documentary that Adam sent us? Not yet. The witness okay, of the so, whale. Yeah, so there's, I, I didn't watch it. Oh, well, I, I kind of skimmed through it in Mexico, but then I kind of watched it with him today a little bit. Think there's a part where, um, shoot, was it right whales or colored whales? I think it was right whales. It was right whales. And these freaking gulls are actually like yeah. digging into their back. Yeah, the kelp gulls on the southern right whales. Yeah, like isn't what? that horrible? Yeah, <laughs> so mean. And I guess Chase Decker just told me two things from Chase Decker. Actually, one, Chase Decker told me that there's these birds in Africa. Like, have you seen those birds that land on the animals? There's like a name for like them. Like the cowbirds. Yeah, like they they look. I think they have like they're like reddish or they have some sort of coloration. Okay, so he said that those will like actually pick a zebra's neck or like an animal's neck and then like pick into their spine and kill them. Like it's killed animals before. What? 
Yeah. Like, uh, I forget the name of the bird. I'll have to ask him. Um, but the other thing is, is that Chase was telling me yesterday on the phone, he goes, oh, or no, he, he texted me. He goes, you should go out because uh, Google's breaching everywhere. That like famous calf last summer. And I was like, yeah, okay, like, sure. But then he, I saw him and he showed me the photos. He actually, they actually got photos from the resort of Google breaching down off San Jose del Cabo, which is kind of cool. Like, wow. Yeah. So anyways, I can't believe he went down there his first year. Who? Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I think it's with the mom still down there. That's what they said. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it happens. Yearlings go to the breeding grounds. It happens. Yeah. I mean, interesting. Are they even breeding grounds? Like they could eat there. They're sardines. There's, <laughs> there's, I know. He said they lunch feed there. The guy on the 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 shark boat. Well, yeah, especially in the in the Gulf of California, I would believe that for sure. Yeah, and the blue whales are going up there feeding the sea of course. They're in there right now. Feeding yeah, and, fin you know? whales too. Yeah. Yeah, they're eating. The, the, very... Our population eats wherever they want. They don't care. <laughs> Unlike that Hawaii population that's scared to eat. Well, I mean, who knows? They could be eating too, and we just haven't seen it. I mean, I my personal theory, I have no data to back this up. My personal theory is that there's some sort of hormone surge uh, that helps suppress their appetite. Yeah, they're just and not so hungry. They, yeah, they're not as hungry. But Mexico, I think, especially around Baja, is a more productive area than Hawaii. Yeah, for sure. So that being said, I don't doubt that sometimes the whales here eat snacks. The problem is, is like if they pooped in Maui and there was science, like they could collect it and be like, okay, well, we don't have herring. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they could do something like that. Like, we don't yeah, have anything. They could run here. the DNA and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, they could do science for sure. So, this last article is just going to make our, our, what we thought we know so messy. So, this is about um, humpback whales switching between Mexico and Hawaii in the same season what so yeah so you and i have both seen whales that have gone to hawaii or gone to mexico or like used a feeding ground that didn't make sense but there have been two incidents incidences in the last 15 years or so 17 years or so where a whale has gone from mexico to hawaii or hawaii to mexico in the same season so the paper just came out um, earlier this year, and it's in Royal Society Publishing, but there's also been a few like news articles about it. So I'll post a couple links. Um, but the, the abstract was written, and it says, we report two humpback whales attending both breeding grounds in the same season, one moving from Hawaii to Mexico and the other from Mexico to Hawaii. The first was identified in Maui on the 23rd of February, 2006, and then again, 53 days later, 400 or 4,545 kilometers away on the 17th of April of 2006 in Revilla Gigedo Archipelago, Mexico. So 53 days later, swam 4,500 kilometers to Mexico to get in the mix over there. <laughs> then the second whale that they're reporting about was photo identified off Guerrero, Mexico by, I think by the Whales of Guerrero Project in on the 16th of February in 2018 and then again 49 days later almost 6,000 kilometers away on the 6th of April in 2019 or 2018 off right. of Maui that's just so like 50 wait, days why did this just come up now 
They just um, got the IDs or what? Yeah, they just finally combed through all the data. So they've been and, using Happy Whale and like trying to get through all this stuff. I mean, they wouldn't post it. Like, okay, so when I got my match that was like the Hawaii, California, Ted wrote me. He's like, we need to talk. Can you call me? I was like, it's legit, dude. I swear. Like, yeah. I was yeah. like, dude, it was just a day in the fog. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, they're not going to put that on there if it's wrong. Yeah. No, I think that this was a, it sounded like this sort of came out of a project to go through a bunch of archive data in collaboration with Happy Whale. And so, you know, researchers in both areas finally were like, you know, yeah, we have whales that go between. And then they were like, wait a second, we have whales that go between in the same year. And so then they wrote it all up. Um, How do they know where to go? <laughs> I don't they know. don't have a frick. They, they honestly have to have some sort of Dude, they know map, stuff. Dude. They got a map, dude, from Dora. Like, they, there's no <laughs> way. They're just keeping it tucked behind their blowhole. Like, because it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no way. The, in their armpit pocket like a Okay. Water. Then what? Maybe the magnet of the earth just changes when they get there in February. And they're like, shit, I got a bank left. <laughs> and then go 5,000 miles or whatever it is to Mexico. It makes no sense. Unless they get tired of my ties and they're like, I guess we got to get some margaritas. Smells like tequila over here. Let's go. <laughs> I think that they can hear uh, geologic activity in the ocean. Like think about Hawaii. It's very noisy because it's got magma all the time. Like I think they can hear the volcanoes. Okay. Then what are they hearing in Mexico? Well, the entire North Pacific is covered in volcanoes. 2,800 miles. Just so you guys know. Thank you for doing the math. <laughs> the translation. I did it. Google did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the whale in 2006 that went from Hawaii to Mexico also was identified in the summer off of Kodiak Island in Alaska. The whale that went the other way from uh, Mexico, Mexico to, to Hawaii was identified in a feeding ground off British Columbia in Canada. They're all making messy. out, dude. There ain't no rules. <laughs> there is no more rules. We don't know shit. Literally, all the whales, all, the two whales I saw have been seen by two people in Mexico and nowhere up north. Like, all these whales are getting, and, and I just was, I just went and did um, sightings within the last week and off of Cabo. I clicked on all of them. They've all been seen, like, only down there. So, yep. they just disappear up north. Nobody well, yeah, sees so them. then that, that spike whale, you know, pretty hard to miss, right? Yeah. It's only ever been seen in Hawaii and Mexico. Because they don't go north. <laughs> they just eat in Mexico. They probably so, eat. But next thing you know, we're going to find out they eat striped marlin once a week. And that's it. <laughs> like, we don't know. They don't even need teeth. Yeah. these stinking <laughs> dolphins that need teeth to eat marlin. Yeah. It is swallow a sword. Literally. Oh, gosh. So... Why this is so messy is because in 2016, governments around the world tried to like make a better version of a stock assessment. So in the US, the National Marine Fisheries Service designated Mexico and Hawaii as distinct population segments. So they have their own management strategies, they have their own population estimates, and they have their own conservation status. So um, in Mexico, the whales are considered threatened. And then in Hawaii, they're considered not at risk. So that puts in a different set of protections for those whales. Well, now you have whales not only- 
changing breeding grounds, but changing breeding grounds during the same breeding season. So we should just, one, we should take them off the list. And two, we should, uh, and here's another thing. What if these humpback whales are like, shit, Maui ain't looking too hot. We got to send some of our cousins that way. And they're like, <laughs> we'll hook you guys up. And that's why they're going over to, you know, the Hawaiian Islands. Yeah. Because maybe you had, a, what, you had a couple bad years. Uh, yeah, no. I don't know. So a little more detail about these different encounters. So the whale that went from Hawaii to Mexico, it was identified on the 23rd of February in 2006 off Alawalu, so the west side of Maui between Ma'alai and Lahaina. And it was in a surface active group of five to seven whales, so probably a competition group. So this whale was identified as the principal escort to a female in the group, so they think that the animal was a male. Then 53 days later, middle of April of 2006, it was 4,500 kilometers away, and it was identified off of Isla Clarion, and it was in a trio of whales. So then this whale has also been sighted in other years in Maui, like in 2004, um, which is two seasons before it went from Maui to Mexico. And at the time, it was documented as a singer, a solo singer. So they're pretty confident this whale is a male. And then it was seen in 2004, also in Alaska, in the feeding grounds in July. Okay, so a male switched. So the second whale that happened in 2019, 2018, that went from Mexico to Hawaii, it was first identified on the 16th of February in 2018, just south of Zewatuneo Guerrero. And it was alone traveling uh, rapidly. It did some breaches, did some tail throws. There were two other whales around um, and there may have been some sort of interaction later on, but that was not observed. And that's the only sighting of that whale in Mexico was that 2018 sighting. Then on the 6th of April, 49 days later, almost 6,000 kilometers away, the whale was identified near Alawalu off of West Maui. And it was in a one of seven whales pursuing a female in a surface active group, and they assume that it's most likely a male. Um, they observed it for 40 minutes. It did not end up winning into the primary escort position. Um, it was one of the challengers of the group the entire encounter. But outside of the match year, that whale's been seen 13 other times uh, from 2004 to 2021. And two of the sightings were in Hawaii, and the rest were around British Columbia or northern Washington. So most of the time, this whale is seen in Hawaii and Canada. And then um, it was also seen off the big island of Hawaii in 2007, and it was seen off the island of Oahu in 2017. And the earliest record of that whale is off the southern end of Haida Gwaii in 2004 there's all kinds of cool details about like where this whale goes but it uses a lot of the British Columbia and northern Washington areas and it's see it, it's been seen quite a lot I mean that's a lot of sightings 13 different encounters yeah and in 2004 they made a note that it was a pretty small whale so they think it might have been a yearling so they have a, a okay estimate on its age they think it's at least 15 years old so interesting um, and then just as some follow-up information about uh, the switching between breeding groups, for several years, there have been uh, detections of humpback whales singing 
in the mid-ocean spaces between Hawaii and Mexico. So that further supports the idea that whales are moving between the two locations because you're hearing them singing between the two places. That's probably why they're going to the other place. They're like, wait, what? Yeah, the song, maybe the song's an advertisement. Yeah, like, yeah, what are they advertising? Bluer water? We still got more lady whales over here. If you want to come over here, saw one yesterday. Fight me for it. Yeah, it's more like, <laughs> come, it, the thing is, is like, that's the thing is, they're not calling, the song isn't to call females. The song is just a cry, I guess. I don't even know. Yeah, and I mean, the females are me. not directly attracted to the song, so. Maybe it's some sort of advertisement. Maybe that's part of how they figure out how to get there. Crazy. But I mean, just especially thinking about Hawaii, it is such a specific place in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. If you miss by a few degrees, there is no land for thousands of miles. Like how they don't mess it up. They don't. This is all, there's someone directing traffic down there. <laughs> Like it could be, it could be, it could be the fish. They might do an arrow, like in Finding Nemo. Just like Nemo. I'm Finding Nemo. <laughs> yeah, it could be the fish. Welcome to the EAC. Yeah, <laughs> East African Current. Is it East Australian Current? East Australian Current. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, they don't know. Oh man, so I and I will also say this paper um, about this breeding ground switching. This was fascinating. There's a lot of really detailed and cool information in here. So. If you want to learn more about this, this is like one of the more interesting papers I've read in the last couple months. It was really well written and there's lots of cool um, information in there. So big props to everybody that was involved in that paper. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just makes conservation even more messy, right? Science is messy. Yeah, it is. Actually, the whales are messy too. <laughs> And this is like, we're coming up on the time of year where these, well, right now, these whales, if they're switching groups this season, they're in transit right now, right? Like they arrive sometime in the first week of April, first or second week of April, they're arriving in the other place. They it's like, they I get to the guy. one place mid-February and then they're like, nah, it's not for me. There was so many humpbacks in, in uh, Cabo still. Yeah. There's so still quite like, a few whales here. Yeah. I mean, I still barely only go three miles from the harbor and we see plenty of whales. Just think, there could be a humpback crossing. They could, there could be one leaving Mexico, going to Maui, and one leaving Maui, going to Mexico, and they could be crossing each other right now in the middle of the ocean. Be like, what's up? No, I like, didn't like it over there. Nah, you go. Good luck, bro. Yeah. <laughs> there's, some, there's some real turkey burgers <laughs> over there. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely evidence also of, of males switching because the song changes and the males are the ones driving the song. And there's even some evidence of like patterns that come from one breeding ground, the next season are found in another breeding ground. So like a male's bringing new elements to other locations. Um, but yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Makes conservation really tricky. I mean, so then does that mean like there's an important like travel corridor that maybe needs some more protection? Like, I, I don't know. Oh gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I, we don't even know. Like, I don't even. I guess we don't even think about the shipping stuff going on out there, right? Yeah, yeah, shipping and fishing or whatever else is going on out there. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? 
I mean, and it's the same thing. If you think about it, is it a similar corridor that like white sharks use? Because some sharks go between Mexico and Hawaii. Like, I don't know, Caitlin. I don't know. That's... We need to go out there. Okay. We need to go. <laughs> no, out there they won't it. even give me a boat. Just give me a boat. <laughs> I'm actually going to talk to the captain on the Lindblad ship. I'm going to say, yo, like, let me. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. <laughs> Poor man. I, the gray whales are great and all, but we need to go way offshore about 1,200 miles to be exact. You're like, hey, captain. Um, Well, I just read this scientific article and. <laughs> I'm like, can we get halfway between Mexico and Maui, like at a perfect <laughs> angle? <laughs> this is the time i mean they're out there i read a paper about it and that's the thing is they probably do just go straight where they want to go uh, or yeah, like I mean, 50 50 days to go six thousand kilometers there's not a lot of time for dilly hold on let me do some math so it's how many days it was 53 53 so, days so it's 2500 miles divided by 50 oh shit hold on 2500 miles divided by 53 days that's 47 miles a day. Yeah, so like there's not a lot of time to deal with Dude, down. you are not stopping then. No, you got to go. Well, they could cover – so they say that like what? Killer whales could do over 100 miles in a day if they wanted. They say up to 100 yeah, miles a day. but they have food to eat to produce that much distance traveled. Yeah, why the hell are you going to migrate to Maui, then migrate to Mexico, then back all the way back food. up? Well, it's just like – I mean, this isn't the first time they've crossed, right? There's that whale that has like the longest – distances between sightings and it's because it's been to costa rica antarctica and tonga mm -hmm. and like is costa rica a further migration to antarctica or is the curvature of the earth got to change a bunch of times <laughs> no i think that's one of the longest migrations is costa rica to antarctica and costa rica is an interesting place because they have humpbacks almost all year because they get northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere humpbacks because the blue whales go there to feed when yeah. during the winter i guess we gotta so. go to Add it to the list. No, and you know what? I'm sick and tired because <laughs> I know what's going to happen. One day I will get a match here, and it's going to be an Antarctica whale. It's going to happen. Do you Why think not? they cross the equator? Change Why the, not? Change they cross, feeding grounds? They cross the Pacific pretty easily. I mean, What, Costa Rica to Monterey? It's probably not that far. No, if they, What if they just go closer to... Closer than Antarctica. The thing is, is all they have to do is go to Cabo and get an Uber. <laughs> but if they do like if okay let's say they swim across sea of cortez like from say they get up to puerto Varta, then they meet someone then they start talking and the next thing you know they're in cabo and the guy's like dude i gotta go north and he's like ah frick it i'll go with you and then he goes north it, i bet it could happen what a gray whale could go all the way around to the other side somehow but a true. humpback a, hump, a humpback true. can't just go straight north it's all right. I'll write a book. Just <laughs> give me a little bit. Give me some time. Oh, man. All right. That was a good episode. Yeah. So I think our secret whale of the week should be Spike. 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 Spike I, I, and I, I, just told, I just told Adam yesterday. I was like, I'm sorry. Oh, actually, it was today. He was showing me uh, California seasons, like some lunch feed. He, he needed some of the files. Um, he like had lost them or something, and and I have them on my hard drive. Yeah. So he it put them back in his timeline on Premiere, and he showed me the sequence, and I was just like, I forgot I had even filmed it too, and I was like, did I film that? He goes, Yeah, you filmed this, and I was like, Oh, and he's like, I was like, Dude, I'm sorry, but humpbacks are like my favorite. They're just so cool. They're 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 just amazing. 
and they're like they're very unique right like they're the only whales that look like them those big long flippers and their tubercles and they're curious they're fun they're active they're they're they have they show empathy or like they or what is that what is it they show what's that altruism yeah yeah exactly that and so they care for other animals like just so much science coming out of humpback (laughs) well and they're they're one of the easier study subjects i mean i think if we had access to other species of whales like we do humpback whales we might learn that they're just as cool i mean we do have access to gray whales that's also true they are cool it's just that they're not they're not the thing is is they're travelers like they're not the same as humpback Ah, humpbacks are travelers too man but the gray whales just when they're on their mission they're on their mission they don't frick around yeah they do though i don't know <laughs> like it just you know gray whales are, have tougher days some days you know they're not they're not as outgoing <laughs> they're less likely to, to be outgoing you got like a two percent chance except of the gray they whale. let you pet them like yeah like, and then, oh, here come here scratch my chin thanks so dumb like you're <laughs> telling me you you don't breach you pretty much snorkel for like 99 percent of your migration then you get to the lagoons you're like I'm just gonna hug a boat, like, <laughs> like so. It, it makes no sense. Oh man, doesn't make any sense. Anyway, whales are cool. Yes, I'm into it. So, thanks everyone if you made it this far into the episode and listened to our ramblings about whales and how awesome they are. Um, and yeah, we can't wait to see you in the spring. And we're so thankful for your support always. And yeah, we'll talk to you later. Even the next one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.